From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. For decades, both as a midwife and as a women's health MD, I've guided women through miscarriage. But because miscarriage is often a fearful topic for women who become pregnant and a painful topic for women who have experienced one or more miscarriages previously, it remains on the list of taboo subjects that so many healthcare providers, women podcasters, journalists, and others avoid rather than discussing openly for fear of being perceived as negative about pregnancy. Yet it's as important that we understand and know how to take care of ourselves when it comes to miscarriage, because it occurs far more commonly than one might expect, one in 10 or more pregnancies, as it is to know how to take care of ourselves when we go through any of life's natural processes, our periods, becoming pregnant, or entering menopause. There's been too much silence around miscarriage, and historically, and partly as a result, too many women haven't received the psycho-emotional support they need should they experience an early pregnancy loss. Now we also have to talk about miscarriage with new considerations, because in this post-row reproductive health landscape, accessing medical care for miscarriage has become infinitely more complex for some women. Earlier this year, an Idaho woman named Carmen Broser took to TikTok to speak out about her experience having a miscarriage in the wake of Idaho's new abortion ban. Despite having heavy bleeding and extremely painful cramps that brought her to the ER multiple times, it was eight days before she was given any medicine to manage her pain. And while she asked repeatedly for a surgical procedure called a DNC to complete the miscarriage, she was denied that too. A doctor finally explained that there was quote unquote some trepidation about performing a DNC given the state's new abortion ban. Like Idaho, Numerous states have passed bans or tightened restrictions on abortion following the reversal of Roe v. Wade last year. While the abortion laws are technically intended to apply only to abortions, here's the rub. The treatments for an abortion and a miscarriage of a wanted or not wanted pregnancy are exactly the same. And in this new, legally uncertain environment, some doctors and hospitals, worried about being accused of facilitating abortion, have been reluctant to offer the standard care to patients having a miscarriage. Some pharmacists have also refused or delayed filling prescriptions for the medications used to complete a miscarriage. The result is women like Carmen facing unnecessary hurdles to getting the care they want and sometimes medically need during an already emotionally distressing experience. In recent months, many stories like Carmen's have come out. In Ohio, a woman was sent away from the ER without treatment, even though she had a confirmed miscarriage and was bleeding so heavily that it had filled up the bottom of her bathtub. Eventually, she passed out from the rapid blood loss, and paramedics had to take her back to the hospital. 
In Texas, a woman came into the hospital screaming from passing large blood clots, but was sent home with instructions to return only if she was bleeding so much that her blood filled the diaper more than once an hour. The risk that abortion laws will prevent women from receiving prompt miscarriage care is even higher when it comes to cases where the pregnancy is no longer able to be maintained medically, but there's still fetal cardiac activity. For example, when a woman's waters break or there are other complications. In these cases, miscarriage is inevitable, but may take days or even weeks before it begins. And in some cases, a delay in getting medication or a surgical intervention to treat a miscarriage is dangerous, possibly leading a woman to face hemorrhaging, infection, or sometimes even life-threatening sepsis. A recent study from Texas reported on 28 women who had rupture of membranes or other serious complications before 22 weeks gestation that made miscarriage inevitable. But because of the conflation of miscarriage with abortion in the state's abortion laws, they didn't receive medical intervention until there was an immediate threat to their lives or fetal cardiac activity had stopped. As Julie Kay and Kitty Colbert, the authors of Controlling Women, discuss in my podcast interview with them, in some states, the decision to facilitate the miscarriage may be predicated on the mother's chance of survival should no intervention be done. On average, in the study I just mentioned, the women waited nine days and 57% of them ended up with serious infections, bleeding, or other medical problems. As I discuss in more depth in this episode, which initially aired in 2020, early in the COVID-19 pandemic, so women could manage their miscarriage at home when possible and needed, when someone is experiencing a miscarriage, she should be offered three options for managing it. One, a watchful waiting approach in which the miscarriage is permitted to progress on its own. Two, a medication approach in which medications are used to expedite and complete the process more quickly, which can also be done at home. A surgical approach in which one of a couple of surgical methods are chosen and used to empty the tissue from the uterus. There are pros and cons to each approach, which is why, as long as there aren't medical factors that dictate which direction to go, women should be given the option to choose which approach is right for them and in their current given situation. For the majority of miscarriages, watchful waiting is a safe option. And in this episode, I offer information to demystify the process of miscarrying at home, tips for making the experience more comfortable, and also information on when you need to get medical care when things aren't going quite as planned. Even when it is medically safe to miscarry at home, no one should be forced to make that choice as a default in the absence of access to their preferred method, especially when they're in pain, live in a situation which is not conducive to miscarriage at home, for example, lack of a clean, safe space, lack of support at home for herself or possibly older children, when there are safe and effective medications and procedures available to complete the process more quickly. But in this post-Roe landscape, too many women are having their choices taken away, being forced to wait for the miscarriage to complete on its own rather than choosing the approach as an informed choice. In this episode, I walk you through the miscarriage process. In this post-Roe era, it's all the more important that we as women be prepared with the knowledge about what to expect should we or someone close to us miscarry so that we or they can do so safely and comfortably at home if that's the choice that we want to make or if we're forced to, and so that we know the red flags to watch out for so we're empowered to demand and receive medical intervention when it's needed. If you're living in a state with strict abortion laws where it's difficult to access the medication needed for miscarriage at home, 
please be sure to check out my podcast interview with Imani Wilson-Shabazz of Plan C, an organization dedicated to helping women easily and affordably get mifepristone and mesoprostol, the medications used to manage both abortion and miscarriage. I'll include these resources and others in the show notes. When you're pregnant, there's no shortage of happy chatter about becoming a mom, nor shortage of options for childbirth education classes. But there's very little that prepares us either emotionally or physically for something that remains such a hush topic, and yet which one in four women will experience. Miscarriage. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram, both a medical doctor and a midwife, here to talk with you today about a complete guide to empowered miscarriage at home. Today, I want to focus in on what happens in an early pregnancy loss, which is a miscarriage before 13 weeks, how to have an empowered experience at home, and why you might want to, especially during this pandemic, but whenever a miscarriage occurs, the options for doing so safely, and when you do need to seek urgent medical care. Miscarriage remains so absent from conversations, hidden and secret, that few women really understand what it is or what happens. It's also so routinely treated as a medicalized event, even an emergency, that most women believe that it is a dangerous process that requires hospital treatment. So let's talk about miscarriage, what it really is, what happens, and bring it into the light. The truth is that the vast majority of miscarriages especially in the first trimester, can happen safely in the comfort of your home with no complications at all. This is entirely contrary to what you might expect. Many of the numerous women I've guided through miscarriage at home over many decades have described their miscarriage as a sacred process that allowed a sense of emotional completion and resolution, rather than the trauma and grief so many women find themselves experiencing with a medically managed miscarriage in the hospital. That's why, if it's an option that my patients are interested in and open to, and there are no medical reasons not to, I consider home the optimal place to be for most miscarriages. What is an early pregnancy loss, though, and how might you know if you're having one? Early pregnancy loss occurs in 15 to 20% of all recognized pregnancies and accounts for 80% of all miscarriages. It's a miscarriage that happens in the first 13 weeks of pregnancy. In most early pregnancy losses, fetal demise occurs around six or seven weeks into the pregnancy, though the definition includes any miscarriage in the first trimester. The most common symptoms that suggest you could be miscarrying include vaginal spotting or bleeding, low backache, or abdominal pain, uterine cramping, or actual contractions. Some women also report noticing a decrease in pregnancy symptoms. For example, they no longer feel nausea or their breast tenderness goes away, though this is by no means a definitive sign that you're going to miscarry. If you are having these symptoms that I mentioned above, or even changes in your sensations of being pregnant, meet with your midwife or OB who can confirm, based on an ultrasound, whether the baby has stopped growing, whether there's a heartbeat, or whether you're still pregnant. If you're very early in the pregnancy, it might not be clear on ultrasound whether a fetus has formed or whether it's still living. 
In this case, further assessment may be needed to help put the question to rest. This might include transvaginal ultrasound, measuring blood levels of beta-HCG, and a repeated ultrasound at a near future date to evaluate for changes. It may also be necessary to rule out an ectopic pregnancy, a complication in which the fertilized egg implants and begins to grow in one of the fallopian tubes, which needs to be managed either with medications or sometimes with surgery. Sometimes a woman doesn't initially experience symptoms of miscarriage and finds out she's lost a pregnancy when a routine ultrasound shows that no fetus ever formed, that the fetus has stopped growing, or that there's no heartbeat. It's important to know your miscarriage options. There are three options for how to go about starting and completing a miscarriage. These include watchful waiting, a medication approach, or suction, also called uterine aspiration or dilation and curatage, or a DNC. The first two are at-home options. Let's talk about these. Watchful waiting means you do just that. You watch and wait for miscarriage to get underway spontaneously on its own. It's the most natural approach, but it can take days or up to several weeks between when you learn that you're going to miscarry and the onset of the actual symptoms or completion of the miscarriage, at which point all the tissue has been passed from your uterus. This waiting can be frustrating and for some may feel really emotionally unbearable. Once it does get actively underway, however, a miscarriage is usually complete within five or six hours. Most miscarriages that occur spontaneously don't need intervention and can be managed in a watch-and-wait way. If the miscarriage doesn't kick in on its own within a few weeks or you get tired of waiting, one of the other options will be required. If at any time heavy bleeding, persistent pain, or any signs of infection develop, which we'll talk about in just a little while, then the third option, suction or DNC, might be needed. A medication approach involves taking either a combination of two pharmaceuticals, one called mifepristone, which is a progesterone receptor antagonist, and mesoprostol, which is a synthetic prostaglandin, or just mesoprostol alone if mifepristone isn't available, which is sometimes the case. This medical option allows you greater control when you start the miscarriage because you can choose which day you want to take the pills and allows you to expedite and complete the miscarriage process, all of which can be done at home. It's very effective. In 84% of cases, the pill combination leads to a completed miscarriage in two days from when you take the medications. And if not completed in two days, almost 90% of the time, the miscarriage will be completed within a week. If you can't get the mifepristone, mesoprostol alone works within two days, 67% of the time, and about 85% within a week. The medication method is considered safe to do at home through the 13th week of gestation. Here's how this process works. Your medical provider will give you a 200 milligram tablet of mifepristone at their office, which you can take in the office or at home. About 24 hours later at home, you insert four 200 microgram mesoprostol pills into your vagina, and you do this by washing your hands first, laying down when inserting them, and then remain laying down for 30 minutes after. They can be inserted in any location in the vagina. You just use your finger and push them up on in there. About an hour before you do this, I recommend taking 600 milligrams of ibuprofen. It can really help to buffer the mesoprostol side effects and also, even just by itself, 
with the symptoms of cramping and bleeding, it can help reduce those as well. Sometimes if the mifepristone is unavailable, you simply start with the mesoprostol, taking the ibuprofen still an hour before. After 30 minutes of laying there, you just go about your business. Even if the pills fall out, it's okay. You've absorbed what you need. Overall, these medication options are very low risk. And interestingly, these are the same process for doing a safe first trimester medication abortion at home. Common mesoprostal side effects include nausea, diarrhea, or chills. And that is also really helped and mitigated by using the ibuprofen. These symptoms should improve a few hours after starting the pills. Mifepristone can cause some serious interactions with a number of medications, so you want to discuss use with your medical provider before taking it. Don't just get it online and take it without talking with someone who can make sure this is safe for you. If you take the medication, the mesoprostol, and there's no response to the initial dose, you repeat the whole process with the mesoprostol one week later. Now, I do want to explain what the suction or uterine aspiration and dilation and curatage are. These are procedures that are done in the hospital in which your cervix, which is the opening to your uterus that's at the top of the vaginal canal, is dilated. And one of a couple of methods are used to empty the uterus of what are called the products of conception. One of those methods is suction or uterine aspiration, which is a device that literally just sucks out what's in there, or DNC. And that's when the contents of the uterus is scraped out using a curette along the inside wall of the uterus. Now, both of these procedures are effective 100% of the time with any miscarriage. These methods are the go-to if miscarriage isn't able to start or be completed spontaneously or with medications like I just described, or if miscarriage starts out or goes into really heavy bleeding or any complications. Or if you just want to get on with it and you don't want to try the watch and wait and you don't want to try the medications, in that case, you can schedule your procedure, go in and have it done, and you're usually back at home in a matter of hours. Now, suction is always preferable to DNC for early pregnancy loss because one, it's quicker to perform, and two, there's less risk of scarring the uterine lining, which can be problematic and is more likely to happen with DNC. It can cause scarring and even something called Asherman's syndrome, which can affect future pregnancies. It can affect your ability to get pregnant, and it can affect where the placenta implants if you do due to scarring inside the uterus. Also, other disadvantages of both of these methods include the need for a procedure to be done in the hospital, as well as the risk of anesthesia. The most effective treatment for a miscarriage may depend on the type of miscarriage you're handling. How you choose to handle your miscarriage is largely a personal decision, but it can be dictated by some medical factors, heavy bleeding, for example, or what type of miscarriage you're having. Miscarriage isn't a one-size-fits-all phenomenon. There are three main types, each of which influences how long a miscarriage might take to get started spontaneously and how effective each strategy might be. Your midwife or OB can usually tell you which type you're having based on an ultrasound, and this can help you decide which approach you'd prefer and which is best for you. One type of miscarriage is called an incomplete miscarriage. This is when the pregnancy tissue begins to pass on its own. Using the watch and wait approach, it'll pass on its own over 90% of the time, but the whole process can take weeks. 
With mesoprostol, if you add that on when you're having an incomplete miscarriage, the tissue passes up to 84% of the time within two days and over 90% of the time within a week. There's also a miscarriage called fetal or embryonic demise. This is when the pregnancy has stopped growing, the fetus has stopped growing, but isn't passing on its own. Using the watch and wait approach, which you can do for up to four weeks, this type of miscarriage will pass on its own about 75% of the time, but it can take weeks and that might not feel comfortable for you emotionally to wait. With mesoprostol, though, if you have this situation, the tissue passes close to 90% of the time within a week. The third type of miscarriage is called an empty sac or an anembryonic pregnancy. This is when the pregnancy stopped growing before the fetus developed. Using the watch and wait option, this type of miscarriage will pass on its own only 66% of the time, and it may take many weeks, but there's no harm to watching and waiting. Using mesoprostol, this increases the rate to about 80% of the time within a week. So you can really see the advantages of, you know, maybe waiting a week or two, and then if you're not getting where you want to be by then, adding on the mesoprostol or just starting with the mesoprostol, but not just jumping into the medical advice, which is often suction or DNC, thereby mitigating the risks of hospital anesthesia, et cetera. Many women prefer to start out with a watch and wait approach, but you can choose to switch options if things are just taking too long to get started at any time. In a little bit, I'm also going to mention an herbal approach that can be considered as part of a watchful waiting approach before going to medications or a medical procedure, but which should still be done under the guidance of a midwife or a physician skilled in herbal miscarriage support. But if there's no medical reason not to, you can have a really empowered, healthy, and even sacred miscarriage experience at home if you want to. Here are some of my tips for how to create an optimal experience for yourself, whether you're doing the watch and wait approach, whether you're using the medications at home, but also a way to care for yourself if you do go in for a suction or a DNC procedure, because you still want to support yourself and nourish yourself and take care of yourself. So there are a few kind of key points that I like to describe to my patients. One is giving yourself time, support, nourishment, and comfort. Those are the four kind of big areas that I encourage you to think about when you're moving into your miscarriage, whether it's spontaneously and you're there, you know, and you're on the edge or verge of that now, or whether you're choosing to take medications or whether you go in for a procedure. So for time, during your miscarriage and a few days on either side of it, you'll really want to be at home rather than out at work or running errands. So clear your calendar for a few days, or ideally, if you're doing a wait and watch or doing the medications, clear your calendar for up to a week. Because remember, it can take up to that long for the process to kind of fully kick in. Once your miscarriage symptoms have started, they'll probably be resolved within about 24 hours, the active miscarriage, but you'll still be bleeding more heavily after that. That's normal. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, what you expect you know, during and after. But it's nice to give yourself some time to nourish yourself at home, take better care of yourself in those days than you would be able to if you were rushing out to your job or rushing out to errands. And certainly during the active miscarriage process, you need to be home. You can't be at work. It would be too much to manage that at work. And as you hear what the process is like, you'll understand why.
So I mentioned time. The next thing to plan for and create is support. I really recommend creating a bit of a cozy nest at home, going about your life during the miscarriage process as if you had a weekend to yourself. Imagine that you had a really, really heavy, crampy period, but also potentially a lot of emotions going on. So give yourself permission to really lounge, watch movies, or read a favorite book. In other words, create the space where you can pamper yourself. Also, have your partner or a close friend with you. So you have the support you might need physically and emotionally, but also a watchful eye should problems arise that do require you to get quick medical care. If this is not your first pregnancy and you already have an older child, a toddler, for example, and now you're pregnant and might miscarry, also who can you call on to get some support? You know, interestingly, the first exposure I ever had to a gynecologic emergency in my life was when I was a young middle school girl and my brother's best friend, he had a little sibling and now the mama was pregnant with her third baby and she was having a miscarriage and she was going to the hospital and the husband had to stay at home with the two kids. And so she called my mom and I happened to be with my mom and my mom had nowhere for me to go. So I got in the car with my mom and we picked up this mama and we took her to the hospital together. So, you know, just that has always reinforced for me, you know, how much having a village is so important, but having people kind of on your short list or your telephone tree that you can call. And that's the case, whether you're miscarrying or you're, you know, full-term pregnant or a new mama, it's always nice to have that sisterhood. And that also really means that we have to be able to ask for help, but also to share what we're going through. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that soon. The next point is nourishment. When you're going through a miscarriage, it's important to stay well hydrated, to have light, healthy foods on hand that you enjoy, because eating and staying hydrated will keep you well nourished. Eating lightly is also really important if you're using any of the medications to get the miscarriage going, or if you need ibuprofen, for example, because taking those on an empty stomach will give you an upset stomach. You can also sip red raspberry leaf tea to nourish yourself, which many women use to encourage healthy contractions and uterine tone in labor, but it also works now. You simply steep four tablespoons of dried red raspberry leaf and two teaspoons of dried peppermint leaves in a quart of boiling water for an hour, or use four red raspberry leaf tea bags instead, strain it and drink up to a quart daily for a few days. So one more point is comfort. As cramps or contractions become more intense, here are some things that you can use to support yourself. A hot water bottle on your lower back or lower abdomen can be comforting and pain relieving. You can have somebody massage your feet or your lower back, especially applying firm pressure to the area over your sacrum, like a warm hand and some firm pressure can really, really help bring some relief. Use deep breathing techniques and visualize your womb emptying, your womb contracting down and healing light around your uterus. I love the visualization of kind of a pink golden light, almost like a glowing light that gently is squeezing and releasing, squeezing and releasing. These techniques are very similar to hypnobirthing techniques and can be incredibly effective for riding the discomfort, but also for connecting deeply with what your body's doing and your body knows how to do so beautifully. 
take warm showers and let the water crash onto your lower back for like that warm pounding water massage. If needed, give yourself permission to use pain relieving herbs like CBD, cramp bark and ginger, or take ibuprofen like Motrin or Advil, 600 milligrams every eight hours. Take those with food, as I mentioned earlier, to avoid nausea. You can also sip relaxing herbal teas like lavender, chamomile, or lemon balm. And as uncomfortable as this may feel physically or emotionally, really try to remember that your body does know how to do this. Understanding the process and what to expect can also help put your mind at ease and give you some reference points for the experience. So I'm going to walk you through that in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about creating sacred space for miscarriage healing. Miscarriage brings a wide array of emotions, and there's no one right way to feel during or after. You may feel anything from deep grief to profound relief, depending on your unique hopes and goals for your life at this minute. And it's important to know deep inside yourself that there's nothing you did wrong from that glass of wine to those ambivalent feelings you may have had when you realized you were pregnant to cause the pregnancy loss. And there's absolutely nothing to feel shame about. Over the years, I've learned that when we allow time for and create sacred space around women's life cycles, whether it's our first menses for our daughters, a pregnancy and a baby blessing, miscarriage, change of life, these are all such important times to honor. And when we create sacred space around these life experiences, our brains, hearts, and psyches integrate these with power. And in the case of miscarriage, it's been my experience, we can integrate this with less trauma. We can experience the sense of loss and the grief, but with this also a powerful sense of completion. And many women have shared with me even inner peace. Also, if we open up to our sisters, the women in our lives who honor and love us through our experiences, the joyous and the painful ones alike, we can share our loss and grief with those who help us carry it. And we open up a conversation about pregnancy loss that's so waiting to be had by so many women who have been living with a secret about miscarriage or shame or pain or loss with no one to talk with. How can you create sacred space for yourself around miscarriage? Treat the experience as if it were a birth of sorts. Have candles, music, twinkle lights, sip tea, Rock your hips through the contractions, and if you have a partner, engage her, him, or them in the healing process. Have a burial ceremony if there was a fetus, or even if not, because you may feel you're losing hopes or dreams right now. Commemorate the burial place with a special stone, feather, or herbal offering. Write a letter to yourself or journal about your experience. Mark the date on the calendar so in a year, if you want to, you can honor the passage and honor your healing over the passage of time. Of course, if this is more of a private experience or one you feel more matter-of-fact about, you may not wish to share the experience or you may just wish to have it be another day and move on. Again, there's no right or wrong, just what feels good to you. So how does a miscarriage happen and what happens and how does it feel? A miscarriage entails a combination of uterine cramping, which forces the uterus to empty out what's inside of it, and, you know, for example, the tissue that's built up in the lining of the uterus, and also if there was a fetus or any embryonic tissue, that's passed as well. And bleeding happens as this contents of your uterus is shed. So there's cramping 
and bleeding, cramping and bleeding. The cramping is typically like a very painful period or slightly worse depending on how far along you are and also how crampy your own periods are. And the bleeding may be like a heavy period or considerably more, which can all still be entirely normal. And I'll explain when it's not before the end of our time together today. If you're taking a watch and wait approach, miscarriage symptoms may build up for several days or even weeks before the miscarriage kicks in full on, with cramping and spotting occurring intermittently during this time ultimately building in intensity to the actual last four to six hours when your uterus does empty itself out. The actual final stages of miscarriage with regular cramping and heavier bleeding usually take place within a few hours, up to five hours or so. Initially, there's light to moderate bleeding and cramping, both of which become increasingly heavy and eventually are accompanied by the passage of some solid tissue through the vagina. Sometimes, though, a miscarriage will begin with a fury. Heavy bleeding and heavy cramping can happen right from the beginning, and the whole thing can happen in a matter of five or six hours from start to finish. And again, shortly I'll tell you how much bleeding is too much bleeding and when to go get medical help. If you've taken mesoprostol, the cramps usually start two to four hours after you insert the pills in your vagina and may last for about three to five hours. Bleeding can be heavy. But as long as you're not soaking through the menstrual pad amount that I describe in a minute, heavy bleeding is expected and is not risky. It means the pills are doing their job. The further along the pregnancy is, the heavier the bleeding and cramping might be. And you may notice that you're passing tissue along with blood and clots. If the miscarriage is occurring very early in pregnancy, or if no fetus formed, the tissue may simply look like clots. After about eight weeks gestation, and if a fetus has formed, fetal tissue may be apparent in the form of a very small placenta, a small sac, or you may actually pass a tiny fetus. So this is something to be really aware of that many providers don't warn you about in advance. Really important to know because it can be extremely psychologically disruptive for you and also bring on a lot of grief. So one of the things that you can do if you want to is actually look on the internet for pictures of first trimester miscarriage because there are pictures there that will help you to prepare for what you might see if that's something that's frightening to you to anticipate or talk with your midwife or OB or you know you can wait and watch and see what the experience is for yourself. Sometimes you'll also see material that looks like a little bit of wet toilet paper covered in some blood coming from the cervix as it's coming out of the vagina, and that's part of the membranes. Now, saving the tissue that comes out to show a midwife or doctor can be really helpful in determining if everything's been cleared out of the uterus and in case tissue samples are needed for any chromosomal testing. So talk with your midwife or OB before you go through this if possible. You can put a sieve in the toilet to catch this tissue as it comes out, or if need be, someone can retrieve it from the bowl if you've passed it in the bowl, or it may pass if you're in your bed, you may feel something gush out and there may be tissue there or a small fetus. So you can then, if you want to do a burial, talk with your provider about what tissue sample needs to be saved, what you need to bring to them, and then they can let you know what you can do with next steps for a burial. I just kind of want to take a minute and like, let you breathe through that. This is a lot of really intense information and quite graphic. And, um, you know, this information is here to help you be empowered. But of course, communicating it in this format is very different than me sitting one-to-one with you 
and looking in your eyes or holding your hand or supporting you as you're hearing all of this. So I just really want to honor, you know, a few deep breaths together and then we'll go on. So what if the miscarriage doesn't start or you're not completing it? If a few weeks go by on the watchful waiting plan and you haven't kicked into the miscarriage, you can always go back to your clinician's office and opt for a repeat on the medication or the suction or DNC option. If you're taking the medications and they don't kick in, talk with your clinician about doing another round. If this doesn't work the second time or you're just tired of waiting, you can choose the suction or DNC option at any time. Now, in my midwifery practice, I've often used herbs to initiate contractions in cases where a woman's getting tired of watchful waiting but wants to try something natural before going on to the medication options. A protocol from my textbook called Botanical Medicines for Women's Health is written in the accompanying blog over at avivaram.com forward slash 127. So there's an herbal formula that includes blue cohosh, black cohosh, motherwort, and cramp bark, and instructions for how to use that with additional herbs that you can use for support for bleeding like yarrow, basil, and cinnamon as teas, and some calming teas that you can make to support yourself. So if you're interested in that option or you just want to know about it, you can head over to the blog and read about that. So what do you look out for and when should you seek medical care? Most women who allow nature to take its course and who receive support through the process or use medications will miscarry with absolutely no complications. But miscarriage shouldn't be taken lightly. It does carry risks of hemorrhage and infection. So here's what to look out for and when you need to get immediate medical care. If you are miscarrying at home or about to start one with medications, then print this page out from avivaram.com forward slash 127 or copy these down really carefully to make sure you get them right or you know do a screenshot so that you can refer back to this easily. So here's what to look out for. You're bleeding heavily enough to soak two maxi pads per hour for two hours in a row. Now, I really want to emphasize this. A couple of years ago, one of my friends was spotting. She was in her early 40s, first pregnancy, and she was just starting to have some light spotting. She called me to ask me what to do, and I shared with her, you know, all the things I'm sharing with you now and told her this very specific set of instructions on how much bleeding is too much bleeding. She went away on a vacation with some friends, one of whom happened to have been actually a quite well-known celebrity doula. And the women she was with, when the miscarriage really started kicking in, because uh, they were all planning a vacation anyway, my friend decided to go, she started out with really heavy bleeding. And the women around her, who really didn't have any knowledge other than a little bit of training, were like, oh, this is normal, bleeding is normal. And she was really bleeding a lot. And she then remembered, wait a minute, no, Aviva said, if I'm bleeding this much in this amount of time, it's an emergency and I should get medical care. So she insisted that her partner call an ambulance because now she was starting to feel lightheaded. By the time the ambulance got there, she had lost so much blood that she was unconscious and needed to have two units of blood in the hospital. So even though I'm giving you all the instructions for miscarriage at home, I want to emphasize two things. One, you still have to be really careful. And two, this is a very specific set of 
information on how much bleeding is too much bleeding. If you're bleeding that much or you're bleeding continually at any time where you're just soaking pads, you know, even if it's 30 minutes and you've just drenched through two pads, use your common sense, call emergency medical services or go to the emergency room. Don't call a friend and say, is this too much bleeding? Go and really follow these instructions. Another thing to look for is fever. Now, if you have a fever over 101 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 38.3 degrees Celsius, if you did the watchful waiting approach, then you want to get medical care. If you did the medication approach, then you don't need to go and get medical care until your fever is over 102 because one of the side effects of mesoprostol is an elevated temperature, but it shouldn't go above 102. So 102 is your cutoff. If you reach a temperature of 102.1, then you call your medical provider. Even if it's at 102, your medical provider can just let you know if everything sounds okay or not. So it's still worth a call. And if at any time you start to feel unwell, you have lower abdominal pain after the cramping is done, you just don't feel right, get medical care. Better safe than sorry. Or as I say in my practice, when in doubt, check it out. In this case, a DNC or a suction procedure and antibiotics may be necessary to fully complete the miscarriage and prevent or treat infection. If at any time in the few weeks after the miscarriage is complete, so the cramping is done and you're on to sort of the normal bleeding that may happen for a couple of few weeks after, or if you're passing large clots, which is really larger than kind of a, you know, those Easter candy chocolate eggs or the small ones or larger than a quarter, size of a coin quarter. If you have abdominal pain, fever, or bad smelling vaginal discharge, you could have retained tissue or an infection and that still needs prompt medical attention. So remember that's during the miscarriage, immediately after the miscarriage, or in the few weeks after the miscarriage. So what about after a miscarriage? Well, once the miscarriage is completed, the cramping will subside and it'll stop completely. But the vaginal bleeding may last one to two weeks after, much like a moderate or heavy period, and then it gets lighter over time. It may even start and stop a few times over a couple of few weeks after the miscarriage. During the first few days after your miscarriage, you may also pass some small clots. This is completely normal. Get plenty of rest, eat nourishing foods like hearty soups and stews or whatever you love, and drink plenty of fluids. Change your menstrual pad every couple of few hours to avoid infection from bacteria in the pad. And then plan for a follow-up visit to your medical provider within a couple of weeks of the medication approach to confirm that the miscarriage is complete, meaning everything has been passed from your uterus. A lot of women ask me when they can try to become pregnant again, and believe it or not, if you want to, you can try as soon as you feel like it. For unknown reasons, fertility is actually peak in the month after a miscarriage. But make sure that you're taking a prenatal vitamin, especially one with 400 to 1,000 micrograms of methylfolate. Having a miscarriage doesn't affect your future fertility, so you can be really reassured that this one-off experience doesn't have a longer-term impact on your life. I hope this episode has helped you to feel more knowledgeable and more empowered, more able to support yourself, but also to become a resource for the women in your community. And for those of you who do want to become more of a resource for the women in your community around herbal medicine and natural healing, then I do highly recommend checking out my 
herbal course, Herbal Medicine for Women. Regardless, please share this episode with the women in your life so we can work together to heal the stigma of miscarriage and increase our support tools and our understanding for each other and for ourselves. It's really time that we change this culture of fear and shame around miscarriage and to honor our experiences as part of the spectrum of what can be both painful and powerful experiences as women and that we can support each other through them. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.